Christmas as always has a number of messages to us and there are four that I would like to introduce to you um, at this Christmas season. There will be four passages of scripture that we want to look at and I think from some of the personages that are involved in the whole Christmas story there are these four messages. Um, First scripture is from Luke chapter 1 and we'll just read a few uh, verses beginning with um, Luke 1 67. John the Baptist's father Zacharias was is recorded as saying these words. Now John's father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying Blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. That statement he has visited and redeemed his people is a message of the Messiah and the whole message of a Messiah I think we could give an illustration through this title a scepter of salvation. Now a scepter is an ancient for thousands and thousands of years it is an ancient if you want to call it a a rod a staff even a wand and it is associated with kings and monarchy and it is usually inlaid with all kinds of jewels and so forth and when a king was on the throne or a queen they would always have that with them for a couple of reasons one it is a symbol of authority that they have uh, number two if anyone approached the king's throne or the queen's throne uninvited by that king or queen the only rule for them was death it was assumed they meant harm because they did not have permission to come in if though the monarch extended the scepter to this person entering it then became not only a signal of authority or a symbol of authority but became a signal of acceptance because if it's extended then the person coming into the presence of the king is to kneel and reach out and touch the tip of that scepter thus professing submission to that monarch recognition of his or her authority and of course that I have no harm mean no harm in this case what I think is interesting is that God extends the scepter to a rebellious people not to people who are coming into his presence seeking him so normally the person comes to the king the king extends the scepter in this case God initiates extending the scepter the people do, who don't even want him who aren't interested in approaching him yet he extends the scepter and that scepter is Jesus the scripture says that Jesus is the scepter of the father and he is extending to me beginning on this Christmas night, fulfill, 
the fulfillment of all kinds of prophecies. He's extending to me his own son as the scepter. It is both symbol of authority and a signal to me of acceptance. What, what a salvation. God is introducing finally in the setting of history when this night Jesus is born. So the first message of the Messiah is a scepter of salvation. The second message I think we can see is from Mary and the part obviously that she had. And this we see the message of Mary in the whole picture of Christmas is a spirit of submission. The scripture is from Luke 1. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One is, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. When Mary said those words, I'm your servant, let it be as you have said. I don't think we can grasp what she really said. This was such a total submission to the will of God that in her estimation, I don't know the level of perception she had of down the road, but at this point, I'm sure the only thing could flood to her mind would be, I will lose Joseph, my fiance. I will lose my standing in the society completely. I will never be married. I will never have a family. I will be a social outcast. I will be poverty stricken. I will never have someone to support me. I'll just have to live off of my parents until they die. I will, my life is gone. For all practical purposes, it's likely that that's what confronted her. Nevertheless, she did not argue with it. She didn't squirm out of it. She said, when she said, behold, your handmaid, he, she meant, I'm standing here before you. Do with me as you will. That is a level of submission, really, that God requires of us all, but so wonderfully demonstrated here 
by Mary. The third message is, I think, a message that comes from the manger. And in this case, it's a status of subjection. It means to be put down, to be lowered, to be humiliated. Subjection means all those things. And the message of the manger is a status of subjection. It gives us an idea of how God, his son, and those who believe and follow him will be viewed by the world. The scripture here is Luke 2. It came to pass in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea. Went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. It was, so it was, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Those last words, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It tells us about the status, not only of Mary and Joseph, but also the utter lowliness that the father chose for the birth of his son to come into this world. Finding himself in this crowded city, no place to say, no place to lay their heads, none of the inns would give them room, ending up in a stable. And if we've all been into a stable any time in our lives, this is not, think of today, when a child is born, at least in our country, everything is sterile, you have a number of nurses, you have at least a doctor, everything is uh, readied, not in this case, as far as we know, she was alone. Brings forth the Son of God, and there's no place for him. And so she lays him in what amounts to feeding trough. Um, I doubt that was sterile. That's all they had. What a stooping down for the Son of God who created the worlds, who had the angels at his beck and call, equal with the Father. And here he is, the Creator, now helpless. The all-powerful one dependent. We can't comprehend it. What a level of subjection is in the story of Christmas, the message of what it cost God to bring us this salvation. Finally, there's a message of the Magi, the wise men. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and this is at least a year, possibly two years uh, after the birth of Jesus. So no longer did the wise men bow down at the stable. They were in a house that says that. 
men came from the east, wise men. And they came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that's been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. When they heard this, the wise men, they departed. And the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This final message is a message a statement, a declaration from these wise men by what they did of perpetual service. They intended, now that they had found this king, all of their behavior declares we will serve him. And the gifts that they gave and the behavior they exhibited indicated really an example for us. We are not instruments in the actual giving of the Messiah. We are followers after. We're born thousands of years after that occurred. So what's our response? Our response should be that of the wise men. And a couple things that they exhibited. It says when they saw the child, they fell down and they worshipped him. The wording here is literally to act like a dog. That's the meaning. It's to cower, as it were, like a dog at its master's feet, tail tugged between their legs, and cowering. It indicates total obedience, total service. This is my master. That's the word when it says they fell down and they worshipped him. Then given who they knew he was and believed in their hearts he was. They give three gifts. And these three gifts, I think, are important as far as the idea of a life of service to the king. They provided. We are to provide for our king and for the advancement, a- advancement of his kingdom. So they gave gold. The second thing that they opened their gifts and gave was frankincense. Frankincense is the incense that was burned on the altar of incense in the tabernacle, then in the temple. And it represents prayer. One of the services I'm to offer to God is prayer. And third, myrrh. Myrrh was a key ingredient in the perfume that was sprinkled through the holy place in the temple and was put on the priests as they did their service. There was a, and God said, don't anybody ever make anything like this fragrance. It is reserved for those who serve and for my place for them to serve, the inward part of the temple. Therefore, there is a wonderful and unique fragrance from the people of God to the Lord 
that he wants to enjoy, and that is our service to him in his house and for his purpose and for his cause. So these four messages from four of the entities involved here, there's a scepter of salvation that God extends to us. There is the illustration through Mary of a spirit of submission that God can use me however he pleases. There is in the manger itself, in the lowliness, there is a status that we have to be willing to um, endure as we follow Jesus of subjection and recognize the world will not welcome us. They had no place for him. They won't have place for us. However, we're not abandoned by God. Maybe the world might, but God won't. And finally, there is this example of service on the part of the wise men, treating Jesus as my total master and offering to him that which he requests us to offer. Christmas, of course, is a wonderful time. We know it is overshadowed by Calvary. But what a time of rejoicing and being taught by all the circumstances the Father put into place, put into play in the story of Christmas. Let's quiet our hearts, bow our heads, and thank the Lord for what he has revealed to us. Father in heaven, we are grateful for light, spiritual truth, the grace and strength that you've poured out upon us and the love and the mercy and the salvation and the rescue that you have purchased for us through your son Jesus Christ. It is in, in his name that we approach your throne and through his name that we offer praise and thanksgiving to you. Amen.